Hi, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to the Evoke Therapy Program's broadcast. I'm Dr. Brad Reedy. Today, tonight's format is our open Q&A. So this is for our current and alumni families. If you have questions, if you want to make comments, uh, I'm happy to respond to those. If you're a family member or even a friend of one of our participants, you're also welcome to participate in these open forums, these, these question and answers. So anything that you want to ask about our programs or about those who you love and care about who have participated in our programs, I'm happy to ask. You can also ask for a sibling. You can have siblings on if they're old enough, you feel comfortable. But you can also ask a question that they're asking you, and I'm happy to respond, and you can compare your answer to my answer. So I have a couple of pre-submitted questions that have come in. We'll get to those first, and then we'll get to any live questions from the audience this evening. So with that, let's get to question number one. Somebody writes, I have two adult male children, 42 and 37. My question is, what is a healthy parent-child relationship with adult children? Is it different than with young children? Thank you. It's an interesting question that you asked because I actually posted a, a, a Zen proverb today. Um, the, the idea that the way that we do one thing is the way that we do everything. So in essence, what that means is there's something very similar, very core that is exactly the same. It's about figuring out what your boundaries are, what you're comfortable with, um, what, to, what intimacy looks like. You know, intimacy, there, there's a famous quote that I love to use that says from a, from a child psychologist, it says the proper way of treating a child is the proper way of treating another human being. I wrote a blog a few years ago that said why you should be your child's friend. And my, my premise is the reason that people think that you shouldn't be your child's friend is because they're not really familiar with what it means to be a healthy friend. A friend has boundaries. A friend has limits that, they, that they're willing to participate in the relationship with. A, a friend is, is loving and kind and nurturing and, and honest. So all the things that you would describe in terms of a healthy friend are, are similar to parenting. There are, of course, different decisions to make with a 37-year-old than there is with a 14-year-old or a 6-year-old. That's obviously clear to everybody. But the core way of being is the same. There was a, a, a story that the Buddhist monk and teacher Thich Nhat Hanh tells about where his master had asked him for some help on something. And he was so pleased and so happy to be asked by his master to, to help with some project that he, that he was working on or planning. And, and, and Thich Nhat Hanh jumped up and, and ran over toward the door. And, and as he was reaching for the door, his master called him back over and sat him down again, and he said, I think you can do better than that. And Thich Nhat Hanh realized that he had lost contact with his practice of being present in the moment, and that where you are, you, you've, you, you're already there, you're already arrived, you can have happiness and peace in the present moment. And of course, he got up very mindfully and walked over the door very mindfully, opened the door very mindfully, and left very mindfully. The point that the master was saying in this, this, this lesson to Thich Nhat Hanh is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So are you boundaried? Are you attending to what you need? Are you holding space for the other person? Is that compromising your boundaries? Are you, <clears throat> are you trying to figure out some objective right way to parent or are you trusting your gut and having that be your North Star? All of those things are, are the same. So the, the job of a therapist, in my opinion, the job of a parent coach at Evoke as we train them is to help you discover your pathway and your truth. I, I hear sometimes myself quoted by, 
by other people. I hear people share with me they, that they saw somewhere, maybe on social media or just talking with a friend. They said, they'll tell me that, that, that somebody will say, if Brad Reedy were talking to you right now, he would tell you to do this thing. And of course, any time they say that, I know it's not me because I wouldn't tell you what to do. My job is to help you find out what you need, who you are, what you're feeling, what's driving that feeling, right? To uncover the, 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 the energy that might be beneath you. Uh, my job is to help you grapple with the shame and the guilt that blocks your understanding. And so the fact that you don't know what to do in a given situation tells me that there's some blockages there. Let's talk about what's blocking you. Well, my mother and father told me it was supposed to be this way. My church tells me I'm to be obligated this way. I had a therapist who told me it was my responsibility to do X. And of course, in my method, my way, my way is, well, that's interesting for them. I'm glad they've discovered for themselves the truth of the matter. But your job is to find your truth to find your way through it. So there's no generic solution or technique or advice. And in that way, it's very similar. But there are different tasks for 37 and 42 year olds and 16 year olds and 24 year olds and 10 year olds and five year olds and, and one year olds. Right? Everybody has different tasks. And so how we show up is going to be impacted by that by our knowledge of that. So you can, you can meet with a therapist and also kind of learn about developmental stages. What's, a, what's the task of a 37-year-old? What does a 10-year-old brain think like and what does it not have you know, the ability to think like? How is it limited in the way that maybe a 30-year-old might not be? And I think that they can help guide you with those reference points too. But ultimately, it's more the same than it is different. Once in a while in my private, the, the, the few clients I have privately, they will bring a spouse to the therapy session or they'll bring a, a, a child or, or maybe even send somebody in their family in their stead. And they'll warn me, you know, is it okay if I bring my child? Is it okay if I bring my spouse? Or is it okay if my spouse takes this lesson? And in essence, I say, of course. And, and, and in reality, I don't need any warning. I don't need to be prepared because... It's all the same. It's the same work, really. The way you do one thing is the way that you do everything. It's a way of being, a way of operating, a way of thinking, a way of processing, a way of making decisions. How you make decisions, you, you learn in this process to make decisions by, by taking into account all that I've described. What's your trauma? What's your relationship to the specific subject? Do you have something unresolved from your own childhood that's, that's fueling this? Do you have a, a trauma in your life that, that, that scares you so much that you kind of lose your mind, right? You become reactive, tense, controlling. All of those are part of the work. And that's what a, a coach or a therapist is, is, is expert in helping you walk through. Not because at the end of it, they're going to tell you what to do. In fact, I think in, in some ways, that's just recreating the parent wound in the first place that somebody else knows your truth but simply giving you the skills and the tools and the experience to discover your own truth. And it has to happen in safety. And it has to happen with somebody who knows that they don't know all the answers, who knows that they're not the expert on your life. I wrote in the first book, my first book, therapists are not supposed to be experts on your life. They're supposed to be an expert on helping you, creating a, a context, a situation where you can discover your own life. 
Discover what you want, what you need, what you've been neglected, where you might be wounded and unhealed. That's our job. So that's a long-winded answer to say most of it, the core of it is the same. And then there are, of course, specific decisions as you go with, with, with regard to age and all the other variables that, that each individual child comes with. Thank you for asking. Wonderful question. Love it. The next question reads, if boundaries are about me taking care of me, how do I teach the lesson about behavior that I don't want to see? A simple example is that we teach our kids to say please and thank you, but please isn't regularly used. It doesn't bother me so much that my child doesn't say please for something all the time, but if I don't set the boundary, how do they learn? For example, if I withhold what they want until they say please. This seems like a fake boundary, but it seems like a, a teaching that teaching is a lesson. Help me better understand. So let's start with boundaries. What's a boundary? A boundary is really the, the, the outline of who you are. And who you are is what you think, what you feel, what you want, what you don't want, what you like, what you hate, what you love, what you believe in. Um, it's your value system. It's the foods you like. Um, it's, it's the activities you enjoy, the activities you despise. It's all of those things. It's your history and all of that that makes up you. And a boundary is... I'm not comfortable talking about this or I'm not okay being spoken to that way, spoken to that way, or I'm not going to respond to, to, to passing the milk if you yell at me or my, my request is that you say please and if you don't, pass, you can take a stance. If you don't say please, I'm not going to pass you the milk. You're welcome to do that. Right? You're allowed, you have therapeutic permission to do that. And of course, there are moments in there where you might teach and you might say, gosh, you were so abrupt when you said that it would be nice if you say please it might not rise to the level of a clear boundary a line that you draw but simply making a request and there's there's teaching teaching in all of that and there there are with children specifically but also with friends and spouses there are limits and and, and consequences if you will that become associated with 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 your boundary for example if your spouse hits you when they're angry or frustrated, the boundary is I'm not okay being hit. And the limit is I'm getting a divorce because you're beating me. I know that's a simple, almost crude example, but that's how they relate. So with a child, it is my value is that we say please and thank you in this family. That's my value. That's what that's where I come from. That's what I'm asking for. And then you get to decide if the limit is if you don't say please, I'm not going to pass you the milk. I'm not going to pass you the butter or whatever it might be. So that's kind of how they all fit the bed together. But the core of it again is, is discovering you. And I'm just going to share this quote again because it is so phenomenally simple and true. <clears throat> it's from Daniel Siegel, the great psychiatrist, the renowned psychologist from psychiatrist from UCLA. He said that the key to a child's attachment, the key to a parent being able to provide the child with, with resiliency is based in the parent's self-understanding. Your self-awareness, your self-understanding is the greatest tool. In fact, the Oracle at Delphi, the first edict, the most quoted edict from the Oracle at Delphi is know thyself. That is the final frontier. Of course, that, that phrase comes from Star Trek. But remember, the story in Star Trek was 
that space, the final frontier, was metaphorical for the stuff in between our ears. Right? 20,000 leagues under the sea is about the space in between our ears. The stories that we tell are about self-discovery. And self-discovery opens everything up because every relationship that you have in this world is based in some part, in some large part, with the relationship with you have with yourself. If anger is not okay for you, you're going to have a hard time responding and listening to it with others. If feeling sad or, or pain was never allowed and you've learned to not feel pain and sadness, you're going to have a hard time. If mistakes in life, in your childhood, were all high stakes and were not tolerated or were responded to with anger and rage and control, you're going to have a hard time dealing with your own mistakes, your own humanity, and dealing with the humanity of, of others. And that's why even as, a psych, even as a psychotherapist, the work is about me. Meaning my work, it's, it's partly getting some training and exposure, but it's really about how much I know myself. Self-awareness and self-understanding is the key to parenting and to providing the, for the child what they need. And I could quote a thousand people. The last one I'll end with, which I quote very, very often from Carl Jung, probably one of his two or three most famous quotes is, the best way for dealing with somebody, somebody else's darkness is to come to understand your own. And that means getting down to the root of it. Understanding that the darkness is a, a, a pain that has not been brought to light, a wound, a trauma, a hurt, an injury that has not been brought to light. Like I said earlier, I don't have, there's a lot of you on here tonight, but I don't have a lot more questions queued up. I'll go to a few other things. We have one spot left in our November Finding You, if you're interested. Finding You is an intensive program, a therapeutic intensive that goes four and a half days. And it's all about kind of discovering who you are and how your past is fueling your, your present. You know, you know the, the, the proverbial tip of the iceberg metaphor that it's about 10% of the ice that shows up above the water. And water often in, in myth and storytelling is symbolic for unconsciousness because it fits so well. When you look into water, you can see shapes and distortions of the truth, right? Things are shifting and moving. And the deeper they go, the, the, the less visible they are. All of that lends itself perfectly to the unconscious. So most of what's driving our behaviors is unconscious material. Yeah, I've had conversations with parents on weekly phone calls, giving updates for their children. And part of that process is doing some psychoeducation and some therapy. And, and I've listened to parents over the years. I hear it less today than I used to, but I've, he I've heard it said many, many times by parents. I'm not having a feeling right now. It's just the right thing to do. You know, a, a complete denial of emotional experience. And, and most of it is just a, a, an unconscious, you know, repression of feelings. So part of psychotherapy is to, to figure out what's underneath, what's driving things, what's motivating you. Why are you having the same argument with your spouse over and over again? Why are you having the same argument with your child over and over again? 
And part of therapy is to is to release you, is to give you freedom from what Freud called freedom from unconscious obligations. Right? All the shoulds, all the musts, all the all the have tos and 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 ought tos and kind of bringing them to the surface and deconstructing them and realizing that was just somebody's idea. It's not necessarily the truth. And and what happens in midlife, what happens in midlife for a lot of people is they wake up. It happens in adolescence in a, in a in a smaller way. And typically around the same time it's happening to an adolescent child, the parent is typically aged in relation to that child in such a way that for them it's about realizing that you've been living somebody else's version of the truth, somebody else's direction, somebody else's blueprint for life. And sometimes it can look very messy because the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction to that, that awareness that you've been living in somebody else's life can look pretty ridiculous at times, pretty outlandish. Quitting jobs, starting new careers, having affairs, buying a, a boat, sailing around the, the world, right? All the crazy things that happen during midlife. And part of what the person is saying is, I'm going to abandon the right and wrong that I've been taught and just do what makes me happy. And if the person keeps going and keeps their eyes open long enough, they come back to balance. They come back to the space where they say, um, I can take care of myself. I don't have to leave a wake of destruction. I don't have to hurt people. I have to reorganize my life. I can take care of myself. And then what happens? The coolest part that happens after the midlife, kind of middle passage, as James Hollis calls it, after that process has been worked through to, to a large degree, the person has more love to give. All the gifts that they've had to, to stifle or repress now are the medicine that they use that has healed them to heal everybody else around them. They, they start acting out and doing things philanthropically and, and serving other people, not because they should and because they have to, but because they can. And that's the shift, right? Love is really something you can do when you have it to give. You can't love because of should. Then it's ego. Then it's just doing the right thing. Then it's just being a good person. And so much of our mental health is a, 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 it's a math equation. How much energy is coming in and how much energy you have to give. Last week, my wife and I were talking on Sunday and I was having some things come up that were, it was going to be a busy week for me. I, I was preparing mentally for how much work there was for me this week. And I was getting short and snappy with her. And my daughter came up and it was, it was later, you know, before Sunday night, before bed. And um, at one point, my wife just said to my daughter, the feeling you feel is that dad's a little bit on edge right now. Dad's a little bit depleted, a little bit stressed. And so we're just kind of giving ourselves some space. Because I was taxed, I was feeling overwhelmed, I was feeling threatened. And so my love was diminished, my patience was diminished, right? I wasn't, there wasn't enough energy coming in. And my wife showed me some grace and that gave me some, that gave me a little, little boost of energy, right? We, we, we love because we can, not because we should. And the tail end of this, 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 this awakening is a deeper and more profound. In fact, I would argue it's, it's, a, it's a more authentic love. 
and and that's the last stage of the hero's journey is coming back to the community and giving them them your gift giving them your medicine the wisdom that you, you learned which is, is is kind of universal now you might be a poet you might be um an accountant who gives back to people that can't afford tax preparation you could it could be any but it, you have it to give and you give it because you can and you give it most importantly because you're doing a better job of feeding yourself the spiritual emotional and psychological energy you say no more often you have better boundaries clearer more authentic boundaries you you you're gra- you're grappling with the guilt and the shame right so you're not held hostage in, in, in living a life that you, you have to live. You're living the life that you want to live. And it is terrifying because you have been taught that that is selfish and wrong and that, that you're going to be worth nothing. But on the other side of that, if you have the courage to do it, if you have the courage to wake up and do the work, on the other side of it is joy and power, freedom. Yeah, and you make a bigger impact in the world. All right, I'm not getting any questions. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just kind of freestyling here. Those are our intensives. If you have any questions about intensives, just email intensives at evoketherapy.com. Our support groups, we're having one actually tonight, I think. That might be competing. I might be losing some of the, 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 the viewers to that. So the next one will be November 10th. That's for wilderness families and alumni of wilderness. We have one meeting per month. It's alumni only. November 22nd is that offering. And then we have one meeting per month for our intensives alumni. November 8th is the next one. We have coaches at Evoke that are trained in the attachment-based model that, that Evoke subscribes to, the, 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 the model that I teach on all these broadcasts. So they can do parent coaching, life coaching, individual coaching, couples coaching. We have pursuits trips, which are trips for families and young adults. Think therapy light anywhere in the world. We ask all current parents to go to six 12-step support groups, any combination of Al-Anon, CODA, Families Anonymous, Adult Children. All of those you can look out online, and they all have online offerings. And if you live in a relatively large city, they'll have several throughout the week, several offerings that you can attend. So they're free. And there aren't a lot of mental health services that are free. RefugeRecovery.org and NAMI.org, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, are great organizations that have local chapters in, in your communities or near your communities. All of these broadcasts are available on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. Just search Finding You and Evoke Therapy Podcast or go to SoundCloud.com on your computer to watch them, to listen to them there. You can also watch any of these broadcasts on Evoke's YouTube channel. You can find Evoke Therapy programs and me, Dr. Brad Reedy, on Twitter and Instagram using the handles at Evoke Therapy and at Dr. Brad Reedy, respectively. Also, Evoke Therapy Intensives is on Instagram. Just use the handle at Evoke Therapy Intensives. On Facebook, you can find us by searching Evoke Therapy programs or Evoke Therapy Intensives. And then, we, of course, we have a blog, which Malia, who also moderates for these, does a wonderful job of curating. If you want to give back, if you have extra to give, and you want to give back for people that can't afford these kind of therapeutic programs, the partners that we've partnered with are ChooseMentalHealth.org, Sky'sTheLimitFund.org, and of course, the EvokeFamilyFoundation.org. 
My next broadcast will be November 8th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, and I'll be talking about Evoke's three founding principles. All right, one, one just came in. Somebody writes, would it be helpful for a male young adult to attend wilderness after leaving treatment for a substance use disorder? I was on a family support call, and that was asked. I mean, the question is possibly. I mean, theoretically, wilderness therapy would be helpful for anybody, for you, for me, for anybody, if we could do it physically. It's just a place to go to find yourself, to be mindful, to be present, to work in small groups and, and, and figure out what comes up for you. So, yeah, I mean, my, my gen, generic answer is possibly, absolutely. And my others is, but it's, it's individual, right? It's for each individual case. It, it, you have to kind of, they have to, you have to kind of describe what it's trying to accomplish, what the goals are, and see if it's a good fit. So it's not an absolute yes or an absolute no. No, the answer is quite possibly. That might sound like I'm a politician, but that also happens to be the right clinical answer. All right, folks. Sorry for the short one this evening, but that mean, must mean everybody's at contentment. So I hope you're all well. For on behalf of the people that love you, thanks for showing up to this. Thanks for doing your work. And um, I hope you have a great week. And I'll talk to you on November 8th. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.